This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, building futures close to home at campuses in Morgantown, Kaiser, and Beckley. Information at wvu.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Markets. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com. Welcome back to the legislature today. I'm Bob Brunner. Thanks for joining us for tonight's coverage of the 2023 legislative session. We're down to the last two weeks of the 2023 session. The pace is picking up. Both chambers plan to gavel in for morning sessions on Saturday ahead of Wednesday's crossover day when all bills have to be passed out of their house of origin. There was a public hearing today in the House where speakers came to express their feelings on House Bill 3042. Officially, the purpose of the bill is to forbid excessive government limitation on exercise of religion, and it creates the Equal Protection for Religion Act. Members of LGBTQ community are concerned the bill may be used to undo fairness protections. Let's listen to a few of the speakers. HB 3042 reinforces the rights guaranteed in Article 3, Section 3-15 of our state constitution, assuring that we as citizens may teach, practice, follow a lifestyle in accordance to the dictates of our moral conscience without fear of government intrusion or judicial overreach. We, the people of faith of this great state, want the same benefits of equal protections just like those who oppose this bill. We want to live out our firmly held religious beliefs and convictions about marriage, the family, human sexuality, the value of human life from conception to the grave without fear. This bill is designed not as a tool of discrimination used by the people of faith, but to protect the people of faith against discrimination from those who are opposed to our beliefs and our lifestyle. This bill simply provides a check against unfair government action on religious beliefs. However, there's always been a distinction between the beliefs that people hold and the actions they take in the public sphere. And we're aware of many religious groups that have engaged in activities I think most of us would consider to be unacceptable. You know, in some groups, children have been abused, domestic violence has been justified, discrimination and hate against certain groups has been encouraged and in some cases incited, animal cruelty, various things. and so. I think we agree that religious beliefs, however sincerely held, don't justify these kind of actions. And so in defense of religious liberty, the Constitution, I believe, is enough. And I believe that religious freedom should not be used to justify discrimination against any group, particularly today in this context on the basis of sexual orientation or identity. It should not be used to privilege one religion over another religion. It should not be used to deny other people health care. It should not be used to weaken public health measures to protect us against communicable diseases. And above all, religious freedom should do no harm. The Constitution is good enough. Thank you. 
On Motorsports Day at the legislature, enthusiasts from around the state who race on four wheels or two came to promote their race tracks and ask lawmakers to enhance their speed-driven industry. Randy Yowie has the story. From the panhandles to the coal fields, from Ona Speedway to Tyler County Speedway, racers on dirt tracks, asphalt ovals, Moto X courses filled the Capitol Rotunda. Laura Bowman, the acting chair of the governor-appointed West Virginia Motorsports Committee, says Mountain State Motorsports are more popular than ever. Uh, motorsports actually is such a family-friendly sport. Bring the children, plan to stay for a weekend. Um, and we have folks that have been involved in this all their lives. Uh, and uh, we are beginning some training programs with the local high schools at some of the larger facilities for STEM training. Holman says the industry is working with the legislature to make motorsports safer, make liabilities more equitable, and ramp up promotion to attract more racers, build better racetracks, and create more fans. We are making an attempt to collectively, uh, as a group, go before the Economic Development uh, Commission to see if we can't get some money to help grow uh, these, these organizations. Uh, the motorsports industry as a whole for the state of West Virginia provides an astronomical amount of money in tourism and in economic development, both for the individual townships and for the state. I'm from Detroit, the Motor City. My dad sold cars. My uncles raced cars. They'd all take me down to Toledo Speedway when I was a kid to watch the races. I find here in West Virginia as well, motorsports is a very family, multi-generational activity. Edwin Pardue, director of motorsports at the Eastern Panhandle Summit Point Park, says his family's racing legacy is just one among many generations who love the sport. I had a uncle that was racing cars in the late 1950s. I grew up as a kid, my dad always had a race car sitting in the garage, and so you grow up around it. Uh, you know, some of the folks here, Senator Maynard here, you know, he grew up, and his dad was uh, involved in motorsports, and you see it generation after generation. Pardue and Bowman say the effort today is to get West Virginia motorsports geared up for the next generation. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yowie. The Senate once again turned its focus on the state's health systems today by passing two bills, including one to expand its own oversight capabilities. Chris Schulz has more. Senate Bill 730 would expand the oversight of the Legislative Oversight Commission on Health and Human Resources Accountability, often shortened to LACRA. Senate Health and Human Resources Chair Mike Maroney, a Republican from Marshall County, specify that the current code limits the committee's oversight to programs that involve the physical, emotional, or social well-being of citizens. The bill would expand oversight broadly to any program or area of concern in the DHHR or any of its future successors. This bill also adds that Locker can investigate DHHR, but also can investigate any successor agencies. This uh, language is important uh, as DHHR may be broken up into successor agencies this session. Language was added to the bill stating that LACRA can investigate, study, and review all matters related to any area of concern that exists within the DHHR in any successor agencies, including financial, administrative, programmatic, and systemic issues. House Bill 2006, which would break up the DHHR into three distinct agencies, 
completed legislative action on Wednesday and is awaiting the governor's signature. Senate Bill 730 also allows LACRA to require routine reporting or that reports be submitted on an as-needed basis. The Senate also took up Senate Bill 678, which would appropriate $1.2 million for the one-time setup costs related to Senate Bill 273, which the Senate passed Wednesday. 273 would reallocate the state's child protective workers on the basis of county population and caseload. Near the end of the session, Senator Charles Trump, a Republican from Morgan County, spoke in favor of the bill. Trump has spoken several times in recent weeks about the need for more child protective service workers in the eastern panhandle and the complete lack of such officers in his home county of Morgan. I don't want this session today to end without expressing my gratitude to the Finance Committee and its chairman for working on this and making that possible. Uh, many of us are hoping and praying that having this additional money will be part of the solution to the problem we have now in the state, Mr. President, where children, vulnerable children are at risk. All three bills, along with seven others passed by the chamber, now go to the House of Delegates for its consideration. For the legislature today, I'm Chris Schultz. Several bills on a variety of issues passed third reading in the House today after some pro and con debate over the necessity of a teaching degree. House Bill 2761 passed and was sent over to the Senate. To help curb the state's teacher shortage, the bill authorizes county school boards to employ eligible classroom aides as teachers after 10 years of service and when certain conditions are met. And House Bill 3189 passed. It creates the PFAS Protection Act. PFAS, or forever chemicals, are potentially harmful industrial chemicals that do not break down. The bill requires the Department of Environmental Protection to identify and address PFAS sources affecting public water systems. House Bill 2252 greatly increases penalties for various crimes dealing with human trafficking. The bill's sponsor, Delegate Brandon Steele, a Republican from Raleigh County, says, with our state's confluence of interstates, rural areas, little broadband, and high drug abuse, West Virginia's a top target for human sex slavery or bondage. There is some kid in bondage right now in sex slavery within these borders. And I know increasing the criminal penalty isn't going to automatically free that child from that bondage. But I hope it keeps it on the front of our minds that we will continue to combat, we will continue to investigate, we will continue to innovate different, whether that be criminal investigatory programs, whether it be social services programs, that maybe one day we have a, a unit at DHHR that is solely focused on getting our kids out of this bondage and getting immigrants to this country out of this bondage and protecting our, our citizens. The human trafficking bill passed 91 to zero. It now goes to the Senate for consideration. Delegates on the House floor Friday heard reports of hundreds of instances of abuse and neglect within West Virginia's state behavioral health care centers. The bill in question, House Bill 3247, relates to abuse and or neglect of individuals with an intellectual and or developmental disability. Delegate Daniel Linville, a Republican from Cabell County, introduced the bill saying it needs to pass so he and other lawmakers could sleep at night. Behavioral health centers provide a continuum of services for the treatment of some of the most vulnerable individuals in our state. 
who are at risk of or suffering from mental, behavioral, or addictive disorders. These facilities treat individuals who require a higher level of care than many other facility types, including one-on-one -on -one care and daily nursing care. In recent years, the number and severity of incidents and other issues related to care of the consumer have arisen leading to a crisis level. Additional protections for the vulnerable populations served by behavioral health centers is needed to maintain their safety, and in some instances, their lives. Linville proceeded to read a report from the Department of Health and Human Resources detailing case after case of abuse within the state's behavioral health centers. House Bill 3247 passed the House of Delegates with all present voting in the affirmative. The bill now goes to the Senate for its consideration. Education continues to be a hot topic in the West Virginia legislature with bills proposed to give more money to charter schools and studying alternate school schedules to help districts without enough teachers. Our reporters can't realistically cover everything, so on Fridays we like to bring in a reporter from another news organization to discuss what they see and what's going on. Today, Chris Schulz and Randy Yowie sit down with Ian Carble from Mountain State Spotlight. Thank you so much, Bob. I've got our own Randy Yoey here and Ian Carble from Mountain State Spotlight. Thank you both so much for being here today. Our pleasure. Happy to be here. Great. So we've got quite a lot to talk about, um, and I don't want to rush anybody, but it is getting to that time of the year in the session where a lot of things are happening, um, and there's plenty more to come. So why don't we start with, I mean, I think the biggest story, even though it came earlier in the week, has to be Senate Bill 10. Uh, that's Campus Carry. Uh, Randy, you've been following this for a while. Um, wh what have you been seeing? Well, it, it passed overwhelmingly, and, and what it means is that if you're a student, a faculty member, or a staff member on any college or university in West Virginia, and you have a proper concealed carry permit, you can bring a handgun on campus. Um, there are certain restrictions there. And a lot of restrictions were there before. You can't uh, take it into a stadium where there's a ball game. You can't uh, take it to a daycare center. Uh, you can't take it to, and you pointed this out, a disciplinary hearing, which is probably a good thing. And um, then it gets into the weeds a little bit when you're talking about residence halls. I mean, you can't have it in your dorm room, but you can have it in a public place, in your lunch room, in the study hall, and in common areas. So how do you what do you do with that gun? There's going to be some lockers that are going to be available. Uh, some of the costs are going to be, I mean, for WVU, they're guessing maybe $300,000 to just institute the security, and for some of the smaller schools, that, that may even be more. Um, supposedly, 72% uh, of West Virginians said that they didn't want it. We heard loud hues and cries from WVU, Marshall, Concord, West Virginia State, we don't want it. But uh, the Republican majority got it passed. So Randy just ran us through this, but Ian, education's your beat. I mean, what has been the reaction so far from the legislative passage, at least? Um, yeah, I mean, I think so, you know, the WVU and Marshall, and particularly WVU on this, took a, their, you know, faculty took a kind of interesting staff or, or stance, at least their, their president did, sort of saying, look, we understand this is probably going to pass. This is the way the wind is blowing. And a lot of those exemptions that you just laid out came from their direct requests, saying, if you're going to do this, which, by the way, we don't want you to, please include these places where we do not want guns. Um, and I think that 
among students that I've talked to, and I know my colleague Ellie Heffernan uh, went around to some other universities and colleges in the state, um, there's a very mixed reaction. At least at WVU, it seems to be more uh, firmly, at least with the students that are speaking publicly in their student government organization, has really rallied around this. There's a lot of opposition. Um, in some of the smaller colleges and universities, there's at least seems to be a little bit more diversity in the reaction to it. Um, but by and large, as Randy pointed out, I mean, polling shows most people don't want this, and there is fear, especially as something that was brought up to me repeatedly is, you know, we spent a lot of the last two years and going through the, the hardest parts of the pandemic really requesting help uh, with mental health care that, you know, funding from the state just never reached, and that was something that was brought up over and over again in opposition to this, which is, you know, you are inserting guns into a mental health care crisis. It's certainly very interesting. Randy, do you have any other thoughts? Well, it, 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 mental health and suicides. There was, I mean, Delegate Evan Hansen from Morgantown brought that up time and time again. He brought people in to testify in that regard. And uh, there was a couple of amendments that seemed to make sense to a lot of people that didn't pass. Number one, Hansen said, let's try to get this provisional um, carry out for the 18, 19, and 20 year olds that maybe don't have the maturity right now. I mean, I don't even want to say what I thought and what was going on when I was a freshman in college, but it was crazy. I mean, for a lot of freshmen, you, you're in it's, a It's whole a big change for anybody. You're in a whole new place. You're meeting new people in new cultures. Um, that, that, that didn't swing. And then Delegate Sean Hornbuckle said, well, let's have a separate housing unit for people that would want to not have uh, campus can have a handgun in, in that room, similar to a non-alcohol, non-drug dorm or, or setting. That didn't fly either. Well, certainly, uh, we've been following this one for weeks. Um, can either of you tell me, has, has the governor signed this one already? I don't believe so. I don't think okay. so. Sure. Well, I, that, that's, yeah, that's fair. I'm not uh, sure if there would be hoopla or not if he does. Well, yeah, that, <laughs> I mean, I'm certain that we will end up hearing about it, but yes. um, I guess that's what we're waiting for. Uh, moving on now, simply because there's too much to talk about, as I said at the top. Um, the tax plans, these, these uh, competing tax plans from the House and to a certain extent the governor and from the Senate have kind of bounced back into the public um, eye this week. Randy, you've been following that a little bit. Uh, it seems like there have been some revisions to the impact that uh, the Senate's plan, at least, will, will be having on the state's revenue. Well, it's, it's a roller coaster. Um, the State Department of Tax came out with a fiscal note a couple days ago that said this isn't really going to hit the number that you're talking about. The Senate and, and Eric Tarr said uh, $600 million is what it would cost. We're talking about a 15% cut to, right. there, uh, yeah, to personal income tax. Five different things. 15% cut, a 50% cut for small businesses in the business and inventory tax, the equipment machinery, uh, a special compensation for some veterans, um, and uh, I think a homestead issue and one more that I can't even think of right now. <laughs> Point was the fiscal note said no this is going to be 740 million dollars. That's 140 million dollars more. Plus they said there was a lot, not a lot of T's crossed and I's dotted that this thing was rammed through quickly. It didn't go through the committee scrutiny as so many of these other bills have. But then the next day you see the Speaker of the House, Roger Hanshaw, go on Hoppy Kirchable's uh, show for Metro News and say, no, we've been talking every day, Senate, House, and Executive, 
and we're close. Next week, we're going to come out with something that everybody agrees upon. So it, it's a roller coaster right now. Yeah, I, I do know that the Senate um, advanced the House's uh, budget bill today. Uh, uh, excuse me, actually, I think it was their own bill. But, uh, you know, budget and, and taxes are definitely, you know, in these last two weeks, uh, top of mind for many people. If they're advancing right now, then perhaps Hanshaw, uh, you know, has his thumb on the pulse of what's going on. I think that next week we're going to see a whole revelation in all this. And, you know, people want tax cuts. I mean, we, we know that, that people want it done, but we have all this surplus money and then we have so many things to pay for. I mean, Larry Rowe came up and said, what about the $85 million that we have mandated now to put new security doors in all our schools? I mean, yeah. that is, that's been written in, that, that has to be done. Where do you get the money for it? Well, and that's exactly what a lot of people have in mind is, you know, there's a lot of things that need money in this state right now. Ian, I know that you've got your pulse, as, as Randy was just saying, on schools specifically, $85 million just for doors. What are you hearing about these cuts and, and the potential impact on, on education? Sure. Well, I mean, I think a lot of it just comes down to uncertainty. I mean, I think it sort of speaks volumes that, I mean, Senator Manchin came to the Capitol, what was it, yesterday, two days ago. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. at that point where it's all blurry. <laughs> but, I mean, to kind of give a warning to uh, Senate President Blair and Speaker Hanshaw that, hey, you have gotten a lot of federal funding in the last few years, and you should not continue to expect that, or expect that to continue. Um, and a lot of these surpluses that you're basing this off may have to do with that. And again, that's sort of still more uncertainty because it's, I think, quite hard to calculate, well, how much of the surplus did have to do with federal funds. Um, but I think it's worth noting that, I mean, that's billions of dollars that the state got that it won't anymore. So when you have that on top of proposals for schools that are going to cost money, uh, one of the biggest education bills of this session, I mean, is 30-some million a year to hire 2,500 teacher's aides to retrain teachers in a phonics-based uh, literacy curriculum for kindergarten through third grade kids. Um, and all of that, you know, takes money that the state will need to be making for years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just briefly, while we're still on the issue of education, Ian, before we uh, sat down, you were mentioning the fact that uh, PEIA is kind of in the mix of this conversation about expenditures for schools um, uh, and kind of in a counterpart to teacher raises. What can you tell us briefly about that? Yes, I mean, PEIA is, you know, the, the public employee in insurance program and the Public Employee Insurance Agency. And I mean, it is facing a serious shortfall. There have been predictions for a long time that, I mean, it's going to take hundreds and millions of dollars within a few years to really shore that up. And so that may require things like raising premiums so that you don't see issues like we have of hospitals saying, you know, we can't really serve people on PEIA because it just costs us too much money. Um, and one way to do that is by raising premiums. So I know a proposal that I don't think has really seen a bill come forward yet. It's, it's something I've talked to Senate Education Chair Amy Grady about a bit, is that she is working with the Senate Finance Chair Eric Tarr about discussing the possibility of, well, if we have to raise premiums here, can we give raises to teachers? Which is an issue that has been on the table for a long time because West Virginia does pay its teachers uh, less than most of our surrounding states. And I mean, that is, a part of the reason that there are there is such a big staffing shortage um, and again that's a problem that kind of there's not really much of a solution except for throwing money at it 
Um, well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because we have seen the Senate Education Committee in particular discuss several issues or, or uh, I mean, specifically the issue of teacher pay and trying to work around it in a bunch of different ways this mm -hmm. year. Um, Randy, any thoughts? Well, the other big side of PEIA is this hospital reimbursement situation. I mean, Wheeling uh, Central Hospital timed this out right before the governor stated the state speech, one week before our session started, to say, we're not going to take these PEIA uh, patients anymore after July 1st because we can't afford it. We are, you're not giving a, us enough kickback. And they timed that out well. Uh, so immediately the governor said, let's put 40 million there. And I think in, in the PEI discussion in the bill, there's another 100 million. I mean, it gets into so many of these 40s and hundreds and billions, it, it gets confusing after a while, especially for the regular Joe and Jane out there. But it looks like that that that, that compensation is, is, is really important to everybody that gets PIA, not just teachers. And so we're going to have to see if that finally gets the stamp of approval. Everybody is saying, of course, let's put that money there. You know, we have to do that, but it hasn't been written in yet. So, Ian, I'm going to ask you to do something a little difficult. We've only got about a minute and a half left. Uh, today, there has been a public hearing with regards to a religious freedom bill. I know that you've been looking in background in other states. What can you tell us about that very briefly? Yeah, so I mean, a lot of the controversy around the religious freedom bill, which has come up in many forms in West Virginia, including almost passing in 2016, is the bill on its face is effectively saying, look, no government law, whether it's a local law or a state law, should infringe on unreasonably on anyone's ability to perform their religion. Um, and I mean, that means things like maybe there is a loitering law and you have religions like Islam where, you know, at certain times of the day, people stop and pray. Um, and, you know, so it's, if someone were to get a ticket for that, they would have a court case to go to the state and say, my right to practice religion is being unreasonably infringed upon. Um, where it becomes very controversial is that we have seen in other states that when a law like that gets introduced, it is often used to justify or I don't know about justify, but to basically work around certain local or state non-discrimination laws, particularly uh, as they regard the LGBTQ community. Um, I mean, there is the really famous example of you know the baker who you know refused to make a cake for a uh, LGBTQ couple's marriage, um, and a law like RIFRA, as it's called, Religious Freedom uh, Restoration Act, would uh, you know allow a business or a person to refuse that service. Right. So, it, I mean, it'll certainly be interesting to see if this actually makes it through legislature. It's still pretty early days for that bill. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Um, obviously, so much more to discuss, but we really appreciate you both uh, providing us with some insights. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for that, Chris. Tune in to the legislature today, Monday through Friday at 6. We'll have more news and interviews from the 2023 legislative session. And remember, West Virginia Public Broadcasting is covering the session daily on our radio news program, West Virginia Morning, and on our news site at wvpublic.org. I'm Bob Brunner. Thanks for joining us and have a great weekend. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, building futures close to home at campuses in Morgantown, Kaiser, and Beckley. Information at wvu.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, 
freedom to grow. More information at segra.com.